You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Lurk. Thanks for checking out the Van Flip podcast. If you enjoy the show, don't forget to give us a rating and review and share us with your friends. You can follow the show on Twitter at Van Flip Podcast. Go ahead and shoot us a tweet right now. For all things hardcore and metal music and everything in between, check out LambGoat.com. Subscribe to LambGoat's YouTube page and you can watch all these episodes on video, get breaking news, and obscure metal content. And make sure you stay up to date by following LambGoat and our guests on social media. You can find all those links in the show notes. At this point, I want to shout out our Patreon supporters, Dylan, Lachlan, and Alec. Thank you for supporting the podcast. We appreciate it. If you want to sign up and become a supporter, hit patreon.com slash thevanflip. Each month, our supporters are thrown into a giveaway. We raffle off some vinyl. This month, we're giving away a copy of Deathtones Ohm, so make sure you sign up. And on this episode of the podcast, I sit down with Chad, drummer for the Oakland-based death metal band Necron. Oh, yeah, what's this? Feel this. Oh yeah, this is stuff. Uh... Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Lamb Goat presents the Band Flip Podcast. What's good? I'm sitting here with Chad from Necrot, uh, and I'm sure that's kind of how you pronounce it. I'm, I, we just talked about that right off camera. But So how do you really pronounce the band's name, Necrot? Because I've seen it, like I just told you, spelt like in different ways, like certain letters are silent. So it's always been in the back of my head the last couple of months, like, how do you pronounce this name? Yeah, I mean, you, if you can read it, you can basically say it. It's... It's just necrot or necrot. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 sometimes people try to make things harder than they need to be, but it's it's a pretty simple name. Yeah, make it a little cooler than it. Well, not cooler than it actually is, but you know, make <laughs> it a little more in. You know, you got to be in with the band and know exactly how it's pronounced. But you know, granted, uh, a lot of death metal type bands do have some kind of like you know weird. Uh, pronunciation of their band name especially uh ones that can be confused with like overseas bands so uh, i would uh, that's why it was so confusing to me and when i when i first started seeing it pop up all the time no yeah no it's all good i mean i've heard some of the craziest pronunciations of (laughs) the band's name before and i'm just like where do you even get that from but i mean like i said it's it's pretty simple People like to church it up or make it harder than it needs to be a lot of the time. So that's cool. That's it. Yeah. Is the band's name Necrot like a play on the like you know a rotting neck or is that is it stand for something else? No, I mean it's it's basically necrosis and rot put together. So Necrot. And for those, I mean Luca Luca came up with the name. I didn't come up with it. <laughs> so. I but I feel like that's that's the correct answer. It, right. You know these interviews i've been doing you know 
Do you get that right. one a lot? I'm sure you get that question quite a bit in general. I mean, not really, but it's cool. <laughs> it's well, usually, you know, it's like you just think of it. It's like where do where does each word derive from or what is the root of each word? And you just, you know, put it together. But it's cool. It is cool. The other thing that's pretty cool is you guys just recently had your um, – you guys have been around for like almost 10 years, right? Yeah, you started we started in, like, in 2011. Right, and uh, you guys have just released your second uh, studio album, but you, you've done like EPs and other releases since then. But this particular album seems to have been, uh, I don't want to say like super popular in the, in the way of like billboard or anything like that, but you are very popular as far as like the death metal metal crowd is concerned. You, you guys did a, uh, you had a really good, you know, first week of sales, I think it was like 4,000 um, copies or whatever sold. And that is, you know, that's that's a feat for a band of like, you know, the genres that we're talking about, death metal and metal. So, and you did kind of chart on a couple of the billboard um, billboard charts and this, that, or the other for like new artists, even though you are an artist that have been around for 10 years or so. But like, what do you, what do you attribute you know, the success of this particular album, Mortal, to your other releases or your other release and EPs and stuff? Well, I mean, we went into this one uh, with a lot more experience and a lot more confidence. I think touring for the last three years really helped solidify that. Um, We also, you know, we had a plan ahead of time. We went on the tour uh, the Decibel Tour with Cannibal Corpse and Morbid Angel, Blood Incantation, and Immolation. And then after that, we just started writing the new album. We practiced those songs for months. And then we did another three months of touring in the fall, winter. And then right after that, we took like two weeks off and practiced more to get ready to go into the studio. And then we were in the studio from January 19th to like, I want to say like maybe February 20th. Oh, wow. So it was, like, you know, it was a full month in the studio. So it's like, it takes a lot of preparation to get there, but it's also, you know, it, the work and the, the sacrifices that you do ahead of that really, you know, it shapes, it shapes everything together, I think. So yeah, a lot of work went into this one. And um, I think it, I think, I mean, the popularity of it is definitely showing from it. Um, we placed on like 14 billboard charts uh, the first week of sales and we're still it's like the third week now and there's still we're still on like at least four of the charts even if we're not you know at the like at the level that it was the first week right it's still pretty cool to see that people are still buying records and they're buying our records too and um, you know while we're not able to tour or play any shows right now so it's really cool to see all this happen yeah, I mean, it's definitely, uh, there's something to be said about you guys haven't been on the road in months, you know what I mean? And I'm assuming I'm assuming that part of your plan was to, you know, release the record and tour support to gain more sales and this, that, the other. However, you know, you guys weren't able to do that, and the record still did as well. So that is, um, you know, that's, that's something to be said about it for sure. Um, <clears throat> did you guys write it all in the studio, or because you were touring so much previously, did you have time to write, you know, before you entered the studio? Because you spent like a month in there, so I didn't know if maybe you were just perfecting everything or if you were actually doing a little bit of writing and stuff like that in there too. No, I mean, we 
before we go into the studio, we write and record everything. Like, you know, we, we write the songs and then we demo them before we go into the studio because we pay for the studio time. We don't have any advance money coming in. Like, this is all on our own. So we want to make sure that when we get in the studio for a month that we're not wasting anybody's time, especially our own. So, I mean... There's obviously some stuff that happens in the studio. Like sometimes things change, sometimes stuff gets moved around, but ultimately everything was solidified and written. Uh, I want to say in in like maybe August mm-hmm. of 2019. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. yeah, that's that's kind of where it's at. Awesome. Are more of your sales physical copies, or are they more like uh, I should say, like I want to say vinyl? Because I saw Tank Crimes, uh, you know, they were all that's who you're that's who released the album, correct? Yeah, okay. Uh, I saw them tweeting about it all the time, and then it just seemed like they were repressing variants all the time because you, you know, they would just sell out. And um, do you guys are you guys seeing that you sell more vinyl than anything else, or are there more like digital downloads or CDs or or, or what? I think right now uh, across like all physical music sales, vinyl and tape are the most no. sold, and then digital. I mean, if you're if we're talking physical, it's definitely you know the twelve inch records and the cassette tapes. Um, I, I don't know. It's like CDs; they sell but they sell so slowly. That's, that's and, weird. And I think people, you know, they only want to buy CDs at a certain price. Once it passes like the $10 threshold, people are not interested in buying a new CD unless it's like an import CD that you have to get hmm. from this distributor. Hmm. And that's like the only way they'll do it. But um, yeah, I think people are still buying physically, but it's, you know, the, the formats that were termed dead up until just like maybe a few years ago and now it's crazy because like vinyl records are out selling cds for the first time since maybe like the 90s or something so that's pretty crazy i mean we've we're on i think we're about to release the third press of this record but i mean the pressing numbers for the first two were like i I think it combined to somewhere like uh crap maybe it's like 5000 or yeah. so how many yeah. variants so, uh, were le- how many variants were there in that because i, I want to say i saw like they were posting about like all the variants just being sold out all the time so it seemed like there were way more pressings than there than you just mentioned i mean the the thing is it's like he does or scotty scotty who runs tank crimes he pressed i feel like for the first press he did like 10 different variants and then for the second press, maybe it was like three to five. So I'm I'm still kind of unsure about how many variants there are, um, but there are a lot. And the reason why he just kept doing them is because they just kept selling. Yeah, so, I mean, why not? Yeah, and the thing is, it's like, you know, there was U.S. sales, I mean, North America sales, and then there was European sales. So it's like you had to factor in like how many people are buying here and then how many people are going to buy there and it seems like it's a steady flow of both sides of the pond both you know both the u.s and europe and rest of the world are still actively buying the record so that's cool yeah and i i can totally agree with you about the ten dollar mark on cds as a 
I, I collect vinyl myself, but I only recently started collecting CDs. Uh, and the, I don't because streaming. I've talked about it on here before, but streaming music is all obviously mastered in a different way than like, you know, the audio that you would get on a physical copy. It's a little more compressed because it has to stream, and they don't want to spend an exorbitant amount of money and and you know, uh, bandwidth costs. But they also, you know, it's for like your they they make it so it's for your headphones, you know, like it's, it's EQ'd and mastered for your headphones and all that stuff. So when I started listening to CDs randomly again, like a year ago, I was like, man, in, in lieu of sounding like one of those old guys, like, Oh, well, vinyl sounds better than CD, you know, CD sounds like a way better than like streaming. So I started buying CDs again, but again, they're all like two to $4 now, you know, like old CDs that I'd already previously owned 20 years ago or something like that. But New CDs, the price has not come down on on those at all, and so it does kind of factor into the I you know like do I get the vinyl um, the de- I, the one I recently bought was the Deftones pre uh, pre order for Ohm. Mm-hmm. I bought the vinyl, but I'm like, oh man, do I want to buy the fourteen dollar CD too? But you know, it is what it is, and it's weird that that you guys sold so many tapes too, and it's weird to see that come back because. You you got to really search out for a tape player these days. Yeah, I mean, if you go to any like record store, they usually sell used tape decks or receivers, uh, old turntables. So I mean, if you like really want a tape player, you can find it. But yeah, it's it's crazy how fast the resurgence for uh, tape format um, has. Like I don't know, it's just crazy how fast it uh, came back. Yeah. All of a sudden, because everyone, you know, for the last, I feel like almost 30 years has just been <laughs> primarily buying CDs. And now it's like vinyl tape. It's like, man, are they going to bring back eight tracks soon? Yeah, like, right. <laughs> crazy. So, yeah, I mean, I'm stoked at, at all the sales so far. I think with the CDs, it's just like people want the CDs at a certain price. And I mean, Scotty and Tank Crimes, he he does it pretty fairly. I mean, ten bucks is a pretty average cost. Like, I mean, to at least cover his expenses and then like cover all the other stuff that goes into it. Like, I feel like it's a fair price. But um, once you get lower than that, then it's just it's like, why why even do it? Yeah. Like, why do a CD? You can just like buy the digital and then get a burnable CD at like an Office Max or something, and then burn it. And then you have it. Like, I don't know. Maybe maybe I a lot of the new kids, the younger yeah. kids don't know how to burn CDs, you know, even though we grew up I doing think, that. I think that's also a thing. Like, a lot of computers don't have CD ports anymore. True. So what are you going to do with a bunch of CDs if you can't even use them in your computer? It's like <laughs> everyone just has an iPhone and they want it digital. They want it now. Yeah. They want it streaming. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I think... Uh, I think CDs are are still definitely needed, but not in not in the quantity that they're made, and then also not at the price that mm-hmm. retailers are suggest suggesting them to be sold at. Especially like big label records, like you said, a Deftone CD is fourteen dollars back in like back in two thousand when they were probably like huge as fuck. I mean, they're still a big band. Right. Don't get me wrong, but like when they are huge. They were probably getting like twenty, you know, eighteen to twenty bucks. Yeah, for a CD, 
which is fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, like if you went to like an FYE or one of those bigger chain stores, you know, like twenty twenty one ninety nine or some shit. And uh, yeah, it's crazy that we I would even buy that back then <laughs> if you really think about it. But I never saw the tape thing coming back because I just it never seemed easy to listen to. You know what I mean? Like. And I didn't think the quality of the tape was really that good. If I, I mean, I can't even really remember. I haven't listened to a tape like in decades. So, you know, I, I remember recording a bunch of like mixtape stuff off the radio, off CDs, and then like listening to them in my Walkman. But again, that could probably have been because my headphones at the time were garbage too. So, I, I would like to revisit, you know, listening to tapes. But I'm not trying to fall victim into buying a third type of physical copy of, you know, an album that I like. So right. it's like, how much, how much crap can I store and hoard? You know what I mean? So. I totally agree. Cause I'm having similar problems at my house with, you know, my tape collection, my record collection and my CD collection. It's just, you know, you, you want to get all your favorite albums, but do you really need all three formats or doubles? Yeah. Um, records and variants that's that's the other thing that about vinyl is there's so many different variants or, or whatever and it's kind of like you know like when you look at your record there are people that bought multiple different variants you know what i mean so they have the same record but like four different times of all the variants so as yeah. as a collector that is definitely cool but again it's just like damn where do you st- where do you stop where do you draw the line <laughs> I don't know, and I mean, I'm glad that people are buying all the variants, but it's also, I feel like it's a thing that people think like, oh, well, you know, in 15 years, this is going to be like $300 on Discogs or eBay. <laughs> I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it big with all these variants that I bought for fucking 20 bucks, and it's just like, you know, that's cool, whatever. But like, I don't know. I feel like one or two copies. If you like, you know, a double is like if it's really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One copy is enough. Like I don't, I don't have the room for triple, quadruple copies of the same album. I'll just, you know, I'll hook it up with a friend or something, or just try to sell it. But yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's necessary. I definitely am one of those guys that thinks that. I'll buy an album mainly because the only albums I really do buy are within the genres of like, you know, metal and hardcore for the most part. Um, I don't really buy any other vinyls outside of that. I do for CDs and stuff, but I do look at it kind of like an investment too, because they, the reason why I also like started buying older CDs is because they're going to be limited at some point. Cause people threw those things out like, you know, coasters and shit. So like, and, and going forward, I, like you said, CDs are probably going to be, um, printed and a limited quality quantity by bands. And so they will also just become more limited right away. But, you know, I do look at it as a, somewhat of an investment. Like I, I joke around and I tell my uh, friends like, well, my kid's going to have a badass record collection. And it's going to be worth X amount of dollars <laughs> because, you know, I, I get to interact with all these smaller bands that aren't as huge as like the Deftones or, or whatever, whatever kind of band you want to name. But, uh, you know, and sometimes I'm lucky enough to get the band to sign it. So like, it's cool that I, that I do have a little niche collection that is, you know, worth something, but like, you know, I got a bunch of glass jaw limited edition stuff. And to me as a glass jaw fan, I find that very cool. But like to the regular person, they're probably like, I'm not paying $400 for that EP or some shit, you know? So (laughs) you'd be surprised. I mean, there's people out there that are willing to just buy 
the the first pressing and spend as much as money as I can because it's our favorite band or it's because of you know it's it's super limited like I don't know I see it all the time especially with like other friends bands it's like once a variant sells out there's always somebody who flips it for like mm-hmm. double or triple and it's just like why do you even do that like they're just gonna repress the same record. And it's going to be a different variant, not the first press, but it's like, you can still own it. And yeah, I don't know. I've been, I've been guilty of that too sometimes, but (laughs) I definitely don't do it uh, as often as I used to. What do you know off the top of your head, what the uh, most valuable record in your collection would be? Yeah. um, Coven's uh, witchcraft destroys minds and reaps souls. I got the, uh, the triple gatefold first mm-hmm. press mercury edition. And that was like, that's probably the most money I've ever spent on a record. And, um, yeah, but it was totally worth it because like, that's like such a, it's such a like innovative record for the time because not a lot of bands were toying around with black magic rituals and <laughs> say shit back in the, like, I think it was like, the mid to late sixties when that album came out. Wow, yeah. I might, I might be mistaken, but like I heard it for the first time, like maybe 15 years ago. And ever since I've been like, Oh, that's such a great record. So it was cool to get that one. Um, and then I think the second one after that might be, um, I got a copy of blood fire death from Bathory and that one was pretty expensive, but <laughs> was worth it. like I said, I mean, I'm stoked to have it because yeah. I mean, it, it's like one of my favorite records. So yeah, I don't want to keep bringing up the fucking Deftones, but because their album came out, I recently was like, man, I really want the box set because they came out with a limited box set that's only like a thousand. And I found, you know, on Discogs there's one for like uh, five hundred and forty bucks, and then, then on eBay there's one for nine hundred ninety nine dollars. <laughs> and so. Uh, I was looking. I was talking to a buddy of mine on about the Discogs when I was like, "We well, you know it's like seventy-seven dollars an album. They got like seven albums in there." I was like, "I can wrap my head around paying that much for that, you know." But if I ever did buy that one, that one would be my most expensive, uh, most valuable. But it would be a box set. Um, I already mentioned the Glassjaw one, and I didn't even know that that one was the most valuable one I had until I put it on Discogs just to like in my collection. Uh, yeah, it, it's limited to like 93 box sets or, or you know, little seven inches. So when I found oh, that shit. out, I was stoked again, cause I'm like an Uber glass jaw fan, but that's just my problem. Um, speaking of albums. So like, what do you think, like, what, what is your thought process or thoughts on like the death metal artwork for like albums? Because it always seems to be around, like, it's always some kind of, you know, demonic kind of death oriented fucking artwork. So what, what do you think is the cause for that? I think it's just, um, bands trying to give people, uh, I don't know, like an idea of like your mortality maybe, or, or something like that, or just, you know, wanting to present something that represents their music style, uh, with Necrot. I mean, We've had like kind of a range of different artwork before we went with Merald, um, who did the who did the Blood Offerings cover and the Mortal cover just recently. Um, 
I mean, it, I mean, it all depends really. Like I've seen a lot of bands do like really like weird and out there covers that are not the traditional dead skull shit. But, um, yeah, I feel like it's just trying to go along with like the themes of the album. Maybe, um, I know with our albums, it's always, you know, the artist takes the lyrics and the music and he gets an inspiration or an idea of what to come up with just from that. And then we go back and forth with the different ideas and a sketch is made. Once we approve the sketch, then we go forward. So yeah, I feel like, I feel like, you know, it cha- it varies uh, by band. Yeah, I mean, and putting a visual representation of maybe what the music sounds like on the cover would be key. So I can, you know, I can grasp my head around that. Mm-hmm. I was told there's a there's a very interesting story behind Mortal's artwork. Would you care to elaborate on that? Um, I mean, there's there's probably many stories, but <laughs> uh, the artist Merald von Hasteren, um he had a, uh, an accident where his, um, I think it was the retina in his right eye. Mm. And if I get that wrong, I'm sorry, but his, uh, his retina detached in his eye. And so he was like, yeah, I can't, I can't draw or do any sort of like art stuff. I mean, he was like out of commission for a few weeks and we were all kind of scrambling. Like we were like, Oh no, what are we going to do? Because we, wanted Merald to do the artwork. We had a deadline to get it pressed so that we could have the records on tour and everything. Um, and so we were just like kind of worried and we were worried about him. Um, I mean, he's like, he's like our good friend at this point. So it's just like, we wanted to make sure that he was okay too. But, um, I mean, he pulled through, he's a fucking champion. Like, I don't know how he did it, but he was able to draw and, and come up with the rest of the cover just using one one eye. Um, and he's been slowly trying to like get his sight back in his right eye. I'm like, I I kind of have to check in with him about this, but uh, yeah, he he pulled through uh, with the um, I don't know with with what he had to work with, and yeah. uh, we're all really thankful for what he did because the album looks sick and you know people didn't know the story behind it they would have just you know assumed like oh everything just went according to plan but (laughs) no it's like i mean this whole it's kind of weird because this whole record hasn't really gone according to plan you know as far as the covid and everything but i mean what are you gonna do you just gotta roll with the punches and move forward best you can did that delay your release date at all or were you planning on this you know around august or september i think august right no, yeah. like, the thing was it was like he he was able to get everything done by the deadline that we set which was like awesome because we were like really worried um and so we had everything ready and um the the only thing that released or the sorry the only thing that prolonged the release date was covid happening because okay. we were supposed to tour from like the beginning of May till the end of June to support the record. Like we're going to have the copies with us on that tour. And um, since there was no touring, we were just like, well, we'll see if we can get something rescheduled. So we were 
like, okay, we'll, we'll just push it back. And then ultimately it was just coming to the realization that there was going to be no tours. There's going to be no shows. So we were just pretty much like, we need to get this out now. And then that's when it happened. That's when the wheels turned and everything went to the press. And yeah, then we decided on end of August and now we're here. (laughs) Yeah, man, that's cool. Um, I guess one last question about this particular album, um, you know, schedule and not schedule, but you know, situation. Um, since you guys kind of were su- somewhat successful with the sales and with the numbers that you guys have had, like, and I, this is no disrespect to tank crimes or anything like that, but have you had any interest in like the bigger metal labels like nuclear blast or anything like that? Like kind of maybe approach tank crimes or are you guys? Uh, we've had other labels hit us up, and ultimately it just didn't work out. Um, I'm talking had... after after the release or prior? Oh, no, prior. Okay, prior. I, was, I, was, I was talking about after the release, like with the success of oh, it, have my... you had anything? Yeah, not, nothing after. I mean, like, we've – the thing is it's like the record's only been out for, like, what, <laughs> almost a month now? So if anybody was, like, coming banging on the door, it's, like, it's pretty soon, but – I feel like the, you know, with so many bands putting out records all the time, every year, it's like, it's hard for people to keep up on new music. So I feel like, you know, once people hear it three months from now, they'll be like, oh, this is like a great record. So we have the initial bump and then we're going to have, you know, the follow up later. And yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not worried about any labels trying to hit us up because I mean, we're, we're stuck with Tank Crimes. Like he's, he's done us so well over the years and like he's supported us and, and everything is like on our terms. So it's like, you know, we're not in debt or anything. We don't like, he doesn't like run the show. It's like he, he asks us what we want and that's how it works. Cool. Do you, I mean, would you prefer being on a smaller label that you, you can have like that personal interaction with, with especially like the owner, like Scott, or, you know, would you ever, moonlight in the idea of maybe doing like a metal blade nuclear blast type thing where it is a larger label but you may not get the same attention as you would with with a smaller one i mean we just want to go with somebody that's not gonna fuck us around you know like we have we have certain stuff that we need like we have we have demands that need to be met and it's like if you don't want to meet us there or at least like negotiate something then we don't we don't want to work with somebody like that we want everything to be like i guess like on a friendly basis and that's why we go with tank crimes because it's like he's local we know him um he does exactly what we're asking for and it's like he's stoked to be doing it too it's like with a lot of these bigger labels it's like they're almost just kind of like hoarding bands and the bigger bands get the big boost while the bands that are like kind of you know, rising up or lower on the totem pole, so they don't get as much attention. Um, but it's like with Tank Crimes, it's like all the attention is on his bands because it's like a DIY smaller, if you, if you want to call it that, a smaller label. But he's always done so good for us and treated us like family. So we respect that. And like, we want to work with people that are going to do the same thing for us in the future. For sure, for sure. And I mean, it seems to have worked out for the most part as of yet. Um, Oh, it's worked great. (laughs) 
<laughs> so you guys are uh, a three-piece and out of Oakland, um, Oakland, California. There aren't really a lot of three-piece death metal bands that I that I can think of off the top of my head. Dying Fetus might be one, and and there, obviously there's probably many that I'm just not thinking of. But what was was it calculated? Was it a calculated decision to only have like one guitar player, a bass player, and a drummer? Uh, because obviously in a death metal band there are riffs all the time, and you know, do you is it layered guitars or is it, or do you just write as a three piece and that's just how it's going to be? Because when you play live, you play as a three piece. Well, when we um, when we started the band, it was always it was just a guitarist, bassist, vocalist, and drums. So we've you know we we've always kind of been on that tip, but. I think like there wasn't any like sort of like inkling to get another guitarist because it's like it was mostly me and Luca practicing and recording songs together for like I think the almost the first two years it was just us so until we got Sunny in the fold like we just were trying to do we were just trying to get the band going and then when Sunny joined that's when we like did our first shows and our first tours and ultimately like he was able to do the job. So I don't know, like we just didn't, we just haven't like needed a second guitarist yet. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I feel like it would definitely like help beef things up. But at the same time, it's like, if you're already killing it as a three piece, why do you need to complicate things even more? Yeah. <laughs> Plus, the money stretches a little bit longer, even if there is a little amount or a big amount. You, you know, I mean, you exactly. get you get more shares. <clears throat> how is the Oakland? Uh, you know, I'm on the East Coast, so I would be clueless as to how the music scene out is in Oakland. But how is the Oakland's music scene? Is it like, a, is it prominent death metal? Because, I mean, I live about three hours away from like Morris Sound Studios, where I mean all the death metal bands early on in the eighties and nineties went and recorded. So, you know, Florida is a kind of a hotbed for that kind of thing, but is like, you know, Northern Oakland, Northern California, the Oakland area, is that kind of like, you know, a big place for death metal? I mean, there's death metal bands, but there's like bands of all, all styles and all genres within metal that are around here. I mean, I feel like, you know, classically, Bay Area has always been regarded as like the thrash metal haven yeah. and that's where like the birth of thrash metal was but like I mean there's there's people playing all sorts of stuff I mean there's a big punk scene there's a big metal scene um you kind of like you know when you play shows you interact with folks from all over so you're you know usually playing shows with these bands or um, playing, you know, playing at the same venues or just like running into them. So I just, I feel like it's not like really death metal. Um, like death metal isn't like the biggest thing here, but it's still like there's still bands and there's still tons of shows where it's like this is a death metal show. These are all death metal bands. It's, right. it's not mixed or anything, but I don't know. I think when there's like scenes that are just like dominant in one genre, it kind of makes things boring. And it's cool when you get to play with other bands that aren't in the same style. Cause it like brings people from all over the area to the show. And 
I mean, we've done a bunch of shows like that and like the places are sold out and people are hearing new music and they're hanging out. So I don't know. I like, I like that feeling more. It's like, you know, how many times are you going to listen to fucking blast beats all night? (laughs) It's annoying. I get you. So yeah, you, you prefer a more mixed lineup where you're maybe the only death metal band that night. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what's cool about it. There's so many bands that are out there and you can do stuff like that here. I know it's not like that everywhere, but we're definitely a little spoiled over here for sure. Yeah. I mean, you also have like San Francisco right across the the area, uh, right across the river or the bay there or whatever. So, you know, and that is a very big artistic, uh, you know, haven. And I think uh, Connie from CU Space Cowboy has spent some time in the Oakland area too, I think. Uh, her girlfriend and me live up there or something like that. We, we talked about it on the podcast a year ago, but she, she was very, uh, she praised the Oakland scene a lot too. So it was, just, I just wanted to get your input on that. But um, speaking of the Oakland scene in general, uh, you, there's a couple, you know, bands that are also from that area. Uh, what are your feelings on bands like, um, like Machine Head, Neurosis, uh, All, All Shall Perish, uh, High on Fire and, and uh, Brain Oil. Do you have any, like, you know, those are pretty big notable bands from that area. So I don't know what your opinion is on, of them. Well, Greg from Brain Oil recorded most of, has recorded most of Necrot stuff. So Even the current? I mean, the we played with Brain Oil a bunch. Um, High on Fire, like, yeah, we, I mean, we, we know pretty much most of those bands you mentioned <laughs> um, closely, like, Sonny has gone on tour with High on Fire with his other band, Saviors, um, back in the day. And Neurosis, like, we we know, I mean, I know a couple of them. Um, and just, like, Dave Ed's other band, Kicker, um, is on Tank Crimes as well. So, like, we played shows with Kicker. And, yeah, I mean, I like Neurosis and High on Fire and Brain Oil a lot. Um like Machine Head, I never like really listened to them. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying they're like bad or anything. Right, I just right. like, you know, growing up, I didn't, I never heard them. Um, All Shall Perish, I didn't really either. I think um, those were just like bands that were kind of like, you know, because I was like a little kid when those bands were like really popular. So I'm not going to know them all, but um, I know that all the bands that you mentioned are, are huge and, and they have been very popular at, uh, at one point or another or are still killing it. I mean, neurosis is huge. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you see them, you see them catch praise all over. So yeah, they're, they're, they're very well known, especially even outside the death metal community. So, uh, out of those bands though, I think all shall, all shall Paris perish is the only one I really kind of, uh, maybe listen to currently uh today you know every now and then there's a couple songs that i jam i never i never really was a machine head fan they were kind of a weird version of the thrash metal when i first heard of them in the late 90s early 2000s so i never really got into them but you know i figured i'd get your opinion on on some of those local-ish bands but um you you talked about earlier how uh you guys went on tour like cannibal corpse and you've been on tour like uh, suffocation and morbid angel and stuff um which of those three bands or you know any other bigger band that you may have gone on tour with uh which of those bands in is the biggest influence for necrot 
Damn. Um, and I know you've been I mean, posting. A, I know somebody has been posting a lot on your Facebook about like your influences for the record. So I just was curious as to like what bigger bands, you know. Well, it seems like across the board, Death is like the biggest influence on all of us. Um, and then I would say like Morbid Angel, um, Cannibal Corpse for sure. I mean, when we were like starting, like Luca and I were just trying to do something on the lines of like nihilist meets like kind of like immolation and um, uh, uh, death. I mean, we were just trying to, like, because those are, like, the bands that we grew up listening to, and those are the bands that we liked the most. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I'd say, like, those bands were huge influences. I mean, it was kind of like a wild card today. Sunny posted um, that Purple Rain was a huge influence <laughs> on his uh, <laughs> his riff-making. I was going to ask that. That's, that was my yeah, follow-up. <laughs> So that was, I was not expecting that, but I mean, it makes sense because Prince is like, like such a great musician and all of his albums are timeless. So why not have some fucking purple rain up in this bitch? Yeah. <laughs> what What are some of your influences that would be off the wall like purple rain is? Like, do you have anything like that's not of the death metal or metal genre that influences your writing? Um, I mean... I listen to, like, a bunch of different stuff. I really try to, like, look at a, a bunch of different bands, check out a bunch of different bands. I don't like to just stay in the metal and punk subgenres. I like to see a bunch of different stuff. So, I mean, I guess some influences would be, like, Godflesh or Sisters of Mercy or um, Portishead, Swans. You know, like, kind of the darker, um, darker type of music i mean neurosis was a big band for me growing up like through silver and blood was a good album um but yeah i mean i don't know like it, it just kind of all depends like i go out all uh, god damn i don't know why i'm like tripping um but i like a lot of like classic rock too um i mean judas priest uh <laughs> eagles are cool <laughs> a lot of people will probably hate that but you got to watch a documentary on the Eagles on Netflix. That'll change your, that'll blow your mind, man. They're not just only <laughs> Hotel California, man. There are a bunch of other hits. Yeah, I mean, Hotel California is good, but you got to get in the deep cuts. Yeah. I mean, they also have like a big, a big discography. They were around forever. They're still, you know, they're still kicking it and playing every now and then. But that's interesting. Yeah, it's cool to find out like, you know, other uh, influences outside of like, like you said, you don't want to listen to blast beats all all night long. So it's it's cool to find out like you know what other influences bands have that are in this you know heavy genre because like like the Prince thing was it threw me for a loop. You know what I mean? Not that I I didn't hear much Prince on the album, so I don't want people to think that there's a lot of like you know uh, Purple Rain or you know Pink Corvette or, or, or something <laughs> like that on the actual or Pink uh, whatever Corvette. Well, I don't know. I can't think of the actual song right now. But little Red Corvette. Yeah, little Red Corvette. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of that on the album, I wouldn't say. It's definitely a death metal album, but that did throw me for a little loop there. That was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, what is one of the craziest things that – because you guys have toured for a number of years now. You've toured in Europe. You've toured in here, uh, um, in the States. What are some of the craziest 
tour stories that you may have? Craziest tour stories. Um, or is it just like three dudes in a van and nothing really exactly exciting happens? <laughs> just a lot of driving. I mean, the, the crazy stuff that happens is usually like on the way to the show or after the show. There's usually never stuff that happens like in the show if if you're lucky. I mean, I've like on the last tour, I was getting in fights with people because they were like hardcore dancing into our merch and like destroying our stuff um so that that was cool um but i mean i don't know like crazy stories like okay so the decibel tour we played a show in eureka um the night before we were supposed to play portland and there it was like it was like really cold and really bad weather there was rain and snow and we um, we were driving for, I mean, a, like after the show, we just packed up and, and hit the road. But like we're carrying a trailer, so it's like we're, we're moving really slow across California and into Oregon. But um, we had to get turned around a couple times because of mudslides. Um, roads got closed because of snow and they were turning us around. Um, and ultimately, like, we were trying to get to Portland for that show. We just never made it because they closed the road um, because there was like a huge avalanche, um, multiple car pileup. And I think we were stuck on, on that stretch of freeway for about damn, like eight, seven or eight hours or something. And by the time we got into Portland, we were like, we had been driving for like 25 hours. Yeah. Wow. So I think that's like the craziest tour story that I can remember right now. I'm sure if you give me some time, <laughs> I could come up with some even crazier stuff. But not a lot of partying, not a lot of drunken nights. I mean, there's <laughs> definitely been some of those, but like with other bands, <laughs> like two. I mean, me and Sonny really don't party as much as we used to. Um, but yeah, I mean. Those are those are stories for another time, I guess. <laughs> Necrot's pretty chill, besides all the other crap that comes at us. But is it just usually you three on the road, or do you have like a TM or a merch person with you? We have a driver and a sound person with us now because um, that's realistically all that we can afford. Um, we can't really like bring like a whole team, like you know, guitar, drum techs, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's usually like five people in the van at once. And, um, I mean, it's better to keep it kind of tight knit like that. Uh, oh boy. He's froze. Uh, you were, you just cut off there for a second. It's, you were saying it's better to keep it tight knit, but yeah, just better to keep it tight. Just, you know, so crazy stuff doesn't happen. I got you. And plus, five people in a van is pretty decent. That's like a band, uh, you know, like a, I wouldn't want to say normal band, but that's like a band, uh, uh, the amount of people that are normally in a band. And, you know, any more than that kind of gets a little cramped. But, you know, if you guys were three dudes in a band, that also is uh, very spacious at that point. So I just, you know, curious as to how you guys feel when you're on the road because obviously 25 hours driving can be a fucking pain. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> Definitely do that again. 
Um, how do you feel about Deathcore? I don't really listen to it. I mean, I'm not against it or anything. I just just don't listen to it. Um, there's like it's a really popular genre though, and like there's tons of bands killing it, doing that stuff. So that was one that was some, someone sent in. So that's why I figured I'd ask. Um, so we're going to kind of, I got a couple questions that Instagram kind of hit me with before. Let me look these up, but I'll also get, Alex has a couple questions that he wants me to ask you. Um, let me see here. So kind of went all over that. All right. Yeah. We went through most of that stuff already. Necrod has been around for 10 years. Where do you guys hope to be as a band 10 years from now? Oh, man, we want to be, like, playing on top of a stadium, like, just <laughs> massive stacks, and, like, I'm going to have a rotating drum kit, like, Tommy Lee. Dude, we're going to be killing it in 10 years. Yeah. Once this pandemic ends, you'll see. <laughs> Are you guys looking forward to it ending, or do you guys plan on, because you guys went a couple years between your studio releases, uh, do you guys plan to keep that kind of cycle going, or... Because now you have so much downtime, is there any writing going on? Maybe for like an EP or another full length? I mean, we're taking a break. Uh, this is like the perfect time to just relax. Like we've been pushing it for years, like touring constantly, writing, recording. Like we're we're all just kind of taking a well-deserved break right now. And when touring is able to happen and shows are able to happen, we're gonna definitely get right back into it if it's possible because i know so many other bands are going to be doing the same exact thing so we'll see um i have another band that um working on the new album with um we have the songs written we just need to get the, the recordings going but you know i need to also practice it as well um but it's it's shaping up so yeah, but as far as like Necrot goes, like we're just kind of waiting till touring happens, and that's going to be our main focus. Are you worried that there's going to be like a saturated market when shows start going back? Is that like a fear you guys have? I already know it's going to happen. <laughs> I'm not even I'm not even phased because it's like everybody's going to want to get out there, and you know what I'm really worried about is just what venues are even going to be left. Yeah, because it doesn't seem like anybody gives a shit about um, freezing rent. And um, helping out these venues and helping out, you know, everybody. It's like, it's so crazy that it's like, you're still expected to pay full rent when they're like, when most of the people I know can't even, they're not even working right, right now. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, no, there's like, oh yeah, you can like pay 25% of it now, but then like in March you need to pay 75%. It's like, who's going to be able to do that? Yeah. Like, nobody's coming to anybody's rescue and it's like really frustrating. So yeah, I mean, we'll see how it goes, but uh, I'm, I'm not really holding my breath for anything positive, unfortunately. <laughs> well, um, speaking of shows coming back and tours coming back at some point, you guys have already kind of toured with a bunch of big name bands within your genre. Um, what are some like bands that you would like to go hit the road with again? Or not again, but like hit the road with. Like it can be again if you want to go back out with one of the bands. Um, I definitely want to go out with Blood Incantation again. I feel like 
that was such a great tour for us. Um, and, you know, we're really good friends with them. Uh, Faceless Burial, I'd definitely go on tour with them again in Australia. That was such a crazy time. Um, no crazy stories, though, right? I mean, <laughs> that, that, that would take like a whole hour. Talk about crazy Australia, man. It we'll was have, so we'll have to fun. to get you back on there, then. Um, who else? Um, um, man, I'm trying to think. I definitely want to go on tour with Bedded because we were supposed to go on tour with them in um, in June and in, in May and June. We we're supposed to do a U.S. tour with them. Um, they're also good friends of ours. Cerebral Rot would be another big pick. Um, Evols from Oakland, another Oakland death metal band. That'd be that'd be a sick tour to go on. And then I mean, you know, like Suffocation would. Be sick, Cannibal Corpse, Morbid Angel, Immolation, Exhumed. Um, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Just like, you know, <laughs> basically, like, if, you know, if we went on tour with bands, there's a reason why, and it's like we know them or we're friends with them. So any any bands that we've been on tour with, I'd be stoked to hit the road with again. Cool. Um, do you have, the, you have someone walking behind you periodically throughout this? Is that your dad? Yeah, it's my dad and my sister. <laughs> They're walking back and forth because I'm in I'm in his office. So. Got you. Does he is he? Yeah, a, so uh... there's like tape being used and you know phone calls. So yeah, it's just that's just how it goes. It's fine. How does he feel about uh, your music? Does he is he a fan of the death metal or was he an influencer? How do you feel? Well, listen, I listen to all of Mortal, and uh, it, it's it's amazing. It sounds great. I was really impressed. All right, nice. Papa Chad is gives the seal of approval on That's the right. uh, on Mortal. No, it's not something that I really gravitated towards. You know, I'm not a circling mosher, and uh, but I tell you, I like the music. It sounds great. Are you the Are you where he gets the Eagles influence? Is that more your style? Uh, you know, hey, I I'm at a different generational age level, but you know, we span back and forth, both of us. I mean, I was raised, uh, you know, on classic, you know, rock music and just anything that, you know, kind of strikes my soul, I just wrote go with it. And it, it, it's great music. Awesome. Well, that's cool. All right. I guess what I'll do here is kind of give you one last uh, one last little question here, and then we'll let your dad uh, get get to his office duties and allow him to have the room free again. Uh, but who are some of your uh, who are some of the up and coming death metal bands that you know we should maybe pay attention to, whether they are in your area or you just because you you listen to so much new music, you said whether they're in your area or around the world. Um. Okay. So I think. I'm just going to go with the Vols. Um, there it's okay. So my other band Mortuous is two members of that band. And then, um, two, uh, three other people that I've known for years. It's, it's a really good friend band of ours. And, um, I think they're definitely an up and coming band to check out. Um, I mean, as far as like other recommendations, I, like some of the bands that I already mentioned that, you know, we've been on tour with those bands are sick and, um, always, always, uh, want to throw shout outs to them. Um, trying to think, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's kind of hard to think about it on the spot. I but, get you. Uh, I get you. You know, a lot of a lot of good friends, uh, uh, you know, have bands, and I try to support all of them as best I can, um, whenever I can. So, uh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. Um, what is it? The new Undergang album is going to be so sick. I think it just got announced today, but um, that is going to be a really good record. Uh, another band, Malignant Altar from texas they're fucking badass i saw them in february right before the pandemic happened and they like they crushed they crushed oakland for sure so uh yeah i guess you know uh, i mentioned a few but yeah that's all that i can think of right now and for those who aren't familiar with your other side band uh, do you want to go ahead and plug that too yeah so i play in mortuous it's kind of like a death doom band um Mortuous has been around since 2009, um, but the first record came out in 2018. And then I play in Vastum, uh, which is another band that's kind of been around for a similar amount of time as Mortuous. Um, and we just released a new album last October called Orificial Purge. And um, uh, that came out through 20 Bucks Spin. Sorry. Um and I also run a label called Carbonized Records. Um, it's mostly death metal or punk or just whatever I like. So that's what is keeping me busy cool. these days. Well, it was definitely a great time having you on. And, you know, this is a quick hour here that was pretty effortlessly uh, done. So I appreciate that for being uh, super interesting enough to carry the conversation that long. Um, I try. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're good, man. It, you know, you never know how these things are going to go, so it, it right. always helps. It's helpful when the guest is, you know, uh, they speak a lot and they, you know, they they're, they're not like just waiting for the answer, the waiting for the question or whatever, because whatever. But uh, I'm glad we finally linked up because I know we were supposed to do this like a week ago or maybe even two weeks ago, but things happened. But um, yeah, man. Uh, Again, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll we'll definitely have to get you back on so we can get some of those crazy Australian, sh- you know, stories. <laughs> maybe maybe when Dad's not in the background, you know. So uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that that's gonna be a not safe for work episode, man. It's fucking crazy. Well, the we want I these love to be Australian. Yeah, we want these to be not safe for work. So you know, we'll have to we'll Never, have to man. we'll have to arrange that. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> All right, chat. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for cop- thanks for coming on, and we appreciate it. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It was great to meet you, and I'm glad we were able to finally do the interview. Cool, man. Thanks. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. <laughs>